concerning the sons of Ammon, thus says the Lord, Does Israel have no sons, or has he no heirs? Why then has Malcolm taken possession of Gad, and his people settled in its cities? Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will cause a trumpet blast of war to be heard against Rabbah of the sons of Ammon, and it will become a desolate heap, and her towns will be set on fire, and Israel take uh, possession of his possessors, says the Lord. Wail, O Heshbon, for Ai has been destroyed. Cry out, O daughters of Rabbah, gird yourselves with sackcloth and lament, and rush back and forth inside the walls. For Malcolm will go into exile together with his priests and his princes. How boastful you are about your valleys. Your valley is flowing away, O black, the backsliding daughter who trusts in her treasures, saying, Who will come against me? Behold, I am going to bring a terror upon you, declares the Lord God of hosts, from all directions around you, and each of you will be driven out headlong, with no one to gather the fugitives together. But afterward I will restore the fortunes of the sons of Ammon, declares the Lord. Okay, we need to think about this one a while. There's a lot of things in this. He talks about the Ammonites. Now, what was the origin of the Ammonites? Very similar. The father of the Ammonite nation was who? What? And the mother was the other daughter. Yeah. So the Ammonites were related to the Moabites. They were like cousin nations. Now where did Ammon reside? This is very important. The Ammonite territory was essentially where? Was it just south of Moab? No. The other way around? North of Moab, kind of. You know the picture, think about the picture of Israel. You've got the Mediterranean Sea, you've got the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea. Then over here you've got the half-tribe of Manasseh, Gad, Reuben, Moab, Edom. Then right over here in a narrow strip of land you had the Ammonites. They occupied the land that was still habitable before you got to the desert on the east side of the two and a half tribes. So guess what happened when the Ammonites wanted a little more territory? They went to the desert. Yeah, they went to the desert. No, they, they pushed up against Gilead and tried to encroach on Gileadite territory. Gilead means the part of Israel where the two and a half tribes resided, on the east side of the Jordan River. So that's what the Ammonites did. In fact, do, do some of you remember other times when the Ammonites tried to take over some of Israelite, Israelite territory? And then Judges, when Jephthah was uh, confronting them about it? Absolutely. Jephthah fought against the Ammonites because the Ammonites had invaded Gilead. And he has a long speech saying, this is our land, it's not your land. Jephthah was a pretty good talker. On a whole lot of other things, but he's a pretty good talker. Can you remember other times when the Ammonites tried to encroach on Israelite territory? Remember the king who wanted a city to gouge their right eye out? That was Jabesh Gilead. Wasn't that Saul's first That was Saul's first great victory. Maybe only great victory. <laughs> you know, I had some other victories, but they had their problems. Uh, yeah, that was in 1 Samuel 11. Uh, you also find that in uh, Amos chapter 1... Verse 13, uh, for three transgressions of the sons of Ammon, and for four I will not revoke its punishment, because they ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to enlarge their borders. 
was a, they were a very uh, kindly nation. Uh, so look here in, in Jeremiah 49 1. I want you to think about what this is saying. Does Israel have no sons? Or has he no heirs? Why then has Malcolm taken possession of Gad and his people settled in its cities? Now do you see what he's asking them? Like why are the Ammonites um, living in the cities of the people of Gad? Like normally the descendants of Gad would be living there. Exactly! Have so. uh, the whole Gadite tribe passed away, so you've just taken over their possessions? Don't they have any heirs that are supposed to get that territory? You know, can you imagine maybe some old woman living in a mansion down the street, and she dies, and somebody just goes in and rearranges the furniture and pops down and settles it. Well, what if that old lady has some children? You know, shouldn't that house, that palace belong to them? Mansion or whatever. Uh, so that's kind of what he's saying. God's saying to, to Ammon, listen, uh, you didn't think there was going to be any descendants in Gad that were supposed to have this territory? It's theirs. You're acting like the Israelites are dead. They are unlawfully seizing the territory God gave Gad. Now remember, Gad was the middle tribe of those two and a half tribes on the right-hand side of the Jordan River. So that's where they had invaded. And so again, Ammon has encroached on Israelite territory. What God say is going to happen? going to sound the trumpet for the war. And how's that going to be for the Ammonites? You're going to burn, be destroyed. Not so good. And what's Israel going to end up doing in the end of verse 2? Taking their land back. Exactly. God's going to wipe out the Ammonites so Israel can regain its territory. By the way, one of the main cities of Ammon was Rabbah in verse 2. <laughs> Rabbah was the ancient name of this city. The modern name of this city is the capital of the country of Jordan. Anybody know what the capital of the country of Jordan is today? Amman. Guess where the word Amman comes from? The Ammonites. Isn't that interesting? Same area! That's the same territory that uh, Ammon was uh, occupying here. And so they, go back, they went back and took that name for that uh, city. Of course, not the same city, but on the same site. Um, so you've got uh, the, the lament and wailing for Ammon in verse 3. For Malcolm, who was their god, will go into exile together with his priests and princes. You know, they were boastful. They thought things were great. They trusted in their treasures. Look at the end of verse 4. What were the Ammonites saying? Who will come against me? How does God feel when somebody asks a question like that? Yeah, it's like that's kind of sticking a fist in the Lord's face and saying, you can't, you can't get me. You know, it's kind of like children on the playground. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you don't do that with God. He can get us, and he did get them. 
And so that's, uh, that's what's going to happen to the Ammonites. I'm going to bring terror on you from everywhere, and uh, nobody will be able to gather the fugitives. God is countering their illusion with a dose of reality. You know, God can bring them down, he will. But look at verse 6. Afterward, I restore the fortune of the sons of Ammon. Same thing he said about the Moabites. There is still hope for descendants of Ammon in Jesus in the end. Comments and questions on this section against the Ammonites. Is yes. this verse 6 going to continue to happen? Because uh, why didn't it happen on the Philistines and the Egyptians before that? But now twice we've heard the same phrase in the author. I think just because sometimes he says that and sometimes he doesn't. I don't think that it is meaning that there was no hope for descendants of the Philistines, for example. If I'm not mistaken, and I probably am, uh, Zephaniah gives hope for the Philistines. Yeah, in uh, Zephaniah 2, 7, uh, for their Lord God will care for them and restore their fortune. So I don't think it's that significant when he says it and when he doesn't. There is hope for all races, ultimately, in Christ. Other questions or comments? Alright, next nation. You know, Ammon up, Ammon down. So uh, now uh, 7 to 13. Concerning Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, Is wisdom no more in Timon? Uh, has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished? Flee, turn back. Dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Dedan, for I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him the time when I punish him. If great gatherers come to you, would they not leave gleanings? If thieves came by night, would they not destroy only enough for themselves? But I have stripped Esau bare. I have uncovered his hiding places, and he is not able to conceal himself. His children are destroyed, and his brothers, and his neighbors, and he is no more. Leave your fatherless, leave your fatherless children. I will keep them alive, and let your widows trust in me. For thus says the Lord, If those who did not deserve to drink the cup must drink it, will you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, but you must drink. For I have sworn by myself, declares the Lord, that Basra shall become a horror, a taunt, a waste, and a curse, and all her cities shall be perpetual wastes. Edom. Now, what do you know about the origin of Edom? Esau's descendants. And where was Edom? Below Moab, down to the southeast of the Dead Sea. What was their territory like? Rocky, rugged, mountainous, you know, difficult, and they felt very secure in that. Concerning Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts. That's always interesting. God is the one in charge. And he says, isn't there any wisdom left in Edom? The Edomites were, you know, really had, they, they, they were famous for wisdom. In fact, did you notice the place in verse 7? Where he says, is there no longer any wisdom in Teman? 
Teman, wisdom. Who was from Teman that was reputedly a wise man? Well, well, I was thinking of one of Job's friends, the Temanite. I can't remember, is it? What was the Temanite in Job? Eliphaz. Eliphaz the Temanite. Supposedly a wise man, not didn't turn out to be quite as wise as he thought he was. But Edom had this reputation for wisdom. But he says, your wisdom isn't working very well. You know, when God decides to bring them down, the best of human wisdom can't stop him. So he tells them to flee away. I'm going to bring disaster, the disaster of Esau upon him. I'm going to punish him. Now, how many prophetic statements are there against Edom? A lot. A whole lot. <laughs> I don't think there's any nation that gets more negative attention throughout the Bible than Edom. I don't think there was any nation any more opposed to Israel than Edom was. That kind of stands to reason, right? Their forefathers didn't like each other very well, right? You know, Esau and Jacob. And so the Edomites are mentioned all over the Bible, and you know, particularly the Old Testament, in a negative light. And uh, now, he, 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 this is an interesting thing. If great gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? If thieves came by night, they would destroy only until they had enough. Now, what if, you haven't ever harvested grapes much, probably. There's not a whole lot of grapes around here. Any of you ever harvested something? You know, like by hand. Some kind of crops. What do you harvest, Kevin? I've done grapes before. I've done grapes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, do you get them all, all, all? Why not? Because they're hard to reach sometimes, and you just don't want to get them all. Yeah, or... It's not worth the time to fish all... Or... And I, they'll be more filleted. Okay. Some of them aren't maybe even ripe yet. And have you any har ever harvested some other fruit or vegetable? What have you harvested? Blueberries. Blueberries, yeah. Wow. That uh, takes a long time to fill up your little basket, doesn't it? Uh, do you get every single blueberry? Why not? There's lots of them. Hard to eat. Not all of them are ready. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's saying, you know, if you're gathering grapes, you don't get them all. Now, in a moment, we're going to talk about why he says that. He says, a thief comes to your house. I hope this isn't the case, but maybe you ever had a break-in with a thief coming into your house. Have you had that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what'd they take? The loose change and the and Ariel's quarter sack violin or something like that, like the easy stuff. So they didn't take everything. <laughs> no. <laughs> Anybody, any of the rest of you ever had a break-in? Yeah. They don't take it all. When we were in Brazil, we had not been there very long. When Dennis and Benita's house was broken into, they left the expensive computer. They took some clothes. They took some other things. And ice cream was very expensive in Brazil. Benita had a birthday, and they had some ice cream left in the freezer. Mm -hmm. They sat down in the or stood up or whatever in the living room and ate the ice cream <laughs> that left the empty carton. <laughs> Those are Brazilian things for you. <laughs> they took some shoes, I think, but they didn't actually even take the most expensive stuff. You know, so things are not going to get it all. Great gathers aren't going to get it all. Now, now let me read this in context, and then you'll see his point. In verse 9, if great gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? If thieves came by night, they would destroy only until they had enough. But I have stripped Esau bare. 
I've uncovered his hiding places so that he will not be able to conceal himself. His offspring has been destroyed along with his relatives and his neighbors and he is no more. God is saying, I'm not like great gatherers. I'm not like thieves. The great gatherers leave some and some of the thieves I don't. So Edom is wiped out. This is, he's going to do a more thorough job than the great gatherers do to a vine or thieves when they clear out a house. But on the other hand, what does he say in verse 11? God will take care of the orphans and the widows. Now isn't that interesting? He'd say that in this strong statement against the Edomites. Even then God shows mercy to the helpless. Now there's more than one way to take this, but I'm going to take it that way. I think that's what is implied in our translations. And it is amazing the Lord's mercy in the midst of judgment. In verses 12 and 13, he says, there's some innocent people who had to drink the cup. How much more guilty Edom? You know, you will not escape unpunished. That's, that settles it. You know, God will bring the Edomites down. Comments and questions through 13. We are not done with the Edomites. Continue. 14 to 22. Gather yourselves together and come against her, and rise up for the battle. For behold, I will make you small among the nations, despised among mankind. The horror, will ins- the horror you inspire has deceived you, and the pride of your heart, you who live in the clefts of the rock, who hold the height of the hill. Though you make your nest as high as the eagles, I will bring you down from there, declares the Lord. Edom has become a horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all of its disasters. As when Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities were overthrown, says the Lord, no man shall dwell there, no man shall, shall sojourn in her. Behold, like a lion coming up from the jungle of the Jordan against a perennial pasture, I will suddenly make him run away from her, and I will point over her whomever I choose. For who is like me? Who will summon me? What shepherd can stand before me? Therefore, hear the plan that the Lord has made against Edom and the purposes that he has formed against the inhabitants of Teman. Even the little ones of the flock shall be dragged away. Surely their foals shall be appalled at their fate. And the sound of their fall, at the sound of their fall, the earth shall tremble. The sound of their cry shall be heard at the Red Sea. Behold, one shall mount up and fly swiftly like an eagle and spread his wings against Basra. And the heart of the warriors of Edom shall be in that day like the heart of a woman in her birth pains. Okay, so... God has uh, sent the envoy to the nation saying, come to battle against Edom. Uh, God is going to punish Edom. Notice verse 16, what was Edom's problem? Arrogance. Arrogance. And what was the basis of Edomite arrogance here? What did Edom think? Nobody can touch him. Nobody can get me because I live in a mountain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the topography, you know. There nobody can get up to here the class of the rock, the fortifications and all that. He says, Well listen, you can make your nest as high as the eagles. I can bring you down. You ever gonna get too high for God? <laughs> you know, that's kinda of funny, isn't it? You ain't gonna have to come down to get the highest ones. 
you know, the closer you are to the Lord, maybe the easier it is for him. I don't know. But the point is, you can't escape God. You're sheer self-deception. You know, they thought, oh, nobody can get us. In fact, Edom was compared, the destruction of Edom was compared to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. What do you know about Sodom and Gomorrah? They were really they were really bad and they were really destroyed. Yeah. They are about the uh, best example of absolute destruction there is in the Bible. And their examples used over and over again in the Bible. You want to talk about, you know, God just obliterating a nation. That's Sodom and Gomorrah. They are wiped out. You know, just totally destroyed. And that was in the vicinity of Edom. It's kind of appropriate that he mentions Sodom and Gomorrah here. Uh, nobody's going to live in it anymore. Nobody's going to reside in it. Um, and, and nobody's going to stop God. Look at the middle of verse 19. Who will summon me into court? You know, who's going to challenge God? Who's going to bring God to court and, and uh, you know, prosecute him? Who's going to arrest God, you know? You know, I mean, God's the one who, who's in charge. Uh, he says, "You uh, therefore hear the plan, verse 20. The Lord is planning against Edom. God has a plan. You know, history is not just a sequence of random happenings. It's a result of God's strategy deliberately. God's planning. So God's planned this. There's going to be an outcry. He's going to mount up like an eagle. And the Edomites are going to be terrified and destroyed. Uh, the Edomites' mighty men were going to be like the heart of a woman in labor. You know, uh, how uh, calmly do women normally go through labor? Not so. And so these mighty men are going to, you know, scream like a woman, I guess we'd say. You know, that's, that's how terrified they're going to be. Comments and questions? What is up with the lion in verse 19 and the pasture? Well, I think the idea is... Uh, I didn't even understand who the lion was. Well, I don't know who just the enemy against that God sent against the Edomites. Okay. One will come up like a lion from the thickest of the Jordan against a perennially watered pasture. For in an instant I will make him run away from it, and whoever is chosen I shall appoint over it. I think the idea is the enemy is going to come like a lion. Right out of... You, he mentions the uh, the thickets of the Jordan. Did you guys realize that in the Jordan Valley there were lions at this time? It was a jungle-like area in the Jordan Valley. And so there were lions that were in that territory. You know, when they talk about lions, they're not thinking about down in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa. You know, they actually had lions in the, in the Jordan Valley. So somebody, the lion's going to come out of the Jordan Valley and it's going to scare them off. Who did eventually take down Edom? Um, I suppose the Babylonians, to some extent, although you know, some of these prophecies seem to have been fulfilled over a period of time, and it's hard to say, because the Edomites in a, it kind of morphed into the Edomians, and the Herod family were part, part Edomite, they were Edomians. So I don't know if this is one that was fulfilled successively over a period of time. Maybe we shouldn't see the fulfillment just in one thing. I'm not sure about that. So it's really hard to know exactly what all God had in mind in this summary prophecy. There are no Edomites today. So. Other thoughts?
Alright, on to the next the victim. This is the shortest of these oracles against the nations, 23 to 27. Concerning Damascus, Hamath and Arpad are put to shame, for they have heard bad news. They are disheartened. There is an anxiety by the sea. It cannot be calmed. Damascus has become helpless. She has turned away to flee, and panic has gripped her. Distress and pangs have taken hold of her like a woman in childbirth. How the city of praise has not been deserted, the town of my joy. Therefore, her young men will fall in her streets, and the men of war will be silenced in that day, declares the Lord of hosts. I will set fire to the wall of Damascus, and it will devour the fortified towers of Ben-Hadad. So we are looking here at Damascus. What uh, nation do you associate Damascus with? Syria. Syria. Depending on your translation, Syria sometimes is called what? Aram. Aram. Same identical thing. Syria or Aram means the same thing. Damascus is even exists today. There's a Damascus on the same site. Man, it's, it's the capital of the nation of Syria today. So, uh, but, but there's bad news. There's uh, oh, some pretty serious problems. Damascus is helpless, turned to flee, panic-stricken. He loves that women and childbirth figure. Have you noticed? <laughs> you know, uh, so it's, it's bad. The city of praise uh, is is coming down, or young men fall, the men of war are silenced, God sets fire to it. Basically, God is going to bring the people of Damascus down. Uh, the, the, the once secure world of the Syrians is going to be shaken up. Uh, really, God is an equal opportunity judge. You know, he gets all the nations around. Comments or questions? 28 to 33. Concerning Kedar, the kingdoms of Hazor, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated, thus says the Lord, Arise, go up to Kedar, and devastate the men of the east. They will take away their tents and their flocks. They will carry off for themselves their tents of tent curtains, all their goods and all their camels. And they will call out to one another, terror on every side. Run away, flee, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Hazor, declares the Lord. For Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has formed a plan against you, and devised a scheme against you. Arise, go up against the nation which is at ease, which lives securely, declares the Lord. It has no gates or bars, they dwell alone. Their camels will become plunder, and as many cattle for beauty, for booty. And I will scatter to all the winds those who cut the corners of their hair. And I will bring their disaster from every side, declares the Lord. Hazel will become a haunt of jackals, a desolation forever. No one will live there. No world son of man reside in it. Okay, dealing with Kedar and the kingdoms of Hazor and uh, that area. Do you know where that was? What's, what, that, what is that territory talking about? That's the region we call Arabia. So that's south of Israel. 
And uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, was who brought them down. And this is the judgment prophecy against them. Everything's being carried away. Verse 29, Jeremiah's favorite slogan, terror on every side. He uses that quite a few times and was even laughed at for using it back in chapter 20. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar formed this plan, devised this scheme. Verse 31, arise, go up against a nation which is at ease, which lives securely. It has no gates or bars. Now, if you have a city without gates and bars and walls, why would you have a city like that? It's like you're inviting trouble. Yes, but why would you have a city like that? Must feel pretty confident that nobody's going to yes. try and take it. They thought they were secure. They didn't think they needed it. What do you think about a house that doesn't have locks? People don't think they need it. You know, if they needed it, they'd put locks on the doors. How many of you have a security alarm system in your house? On our car. On your car, okay. So you know, some of that comes with standard equipment on a car, doesn't it? I know, but still. But you don't have it in your house. Why don't you have it in your house? They don't think you need it. Only one person here has had break-in, you know, one family. Uh, so, you know, if you're not getting break-ins every other day, probably not going to invest in an alarm system. But if you were, you would. So these people felt secure, but they weren't. God was going to bring them down. God was going to bring disaster. He's going to destroy this area. You know, sometimes our feeling of security is a false sense of security. You know, if you think you can withstand the Lord, it is a false sense of security, right? Because we never can do that, that's for sure. Comments or questions on this one? 34 to 39. That which came as the Lord from the, that which came as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet concerning Elam at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am going to break down the bow of Elam, the finest of their might. I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four ends of heaven, and will scatter them to all these winds. And there will be no nation to which the outcast of Elam will not go. So I will scatter Elam before their enemies, and before those who seek their lives. And I will bring calamity upon them. Even my fierce anger declares the Lord. And I will send out the sword after them, until I have consumed them. And I will set my throne in Elam, and destroy out of it king and princes, declares the Lord. But it will come about in the last days that I will restore the fortunes of Elam, declares the Lord. You know, we don't have a lot in the Bible about the Elamites, do we? You know where Elam was? Way east. Over on the far side of Persia. Those were the Elamites. So this is a, or an oracle against a much farther enemy. And uh, what was God going to break in Elam? The bow. bow. Meaning like as in... Bow and arrow. Yes, archery. Now the interesting thing is God always brings people down in the area that they prided themselves in. And the Elamites' claim to fame was with the bow, the bow and arrow. In Isaiah 22, 6, Elam took up the quiver. 
with the chariots, infantry, and horsemen. So even back in Isaiah 22, 6, the Elamites were good with archery. That was their claim to fame. God brings them down there. That's what he said all through this chapter. The Ammonites depended on their riches. They were coming down. The Edomites on their wisdom and their inaccessible location. They were coming down. Damascus on its fame. Kedar on its remoteness. Elam on its bow. Didn't matter what you were proud of yourself for. God would attack that very thing and destroy it. He attacks and destroys the objects of our pride. That's his point. And so that's the case with the Elamites here. Uh, he's scattering them to the four winds. They're going to be scattered out among every conceivable nation. You know, this is a strong oracle against the Elamites. It's shattering Elam before its enemies to the point where God puts his throne in Elam and destroys all its kings and princes. But in the last days, I will restore the fortunes of Elam. Do you remember where you read about the Elamites in the New Testament? Where? Yes, in, yes, exactly. Remember that description of all the different nations that the people were gathered together to hear Peter in Acts chapter 2, the, the day of Pentecost of the Jews there from various nations, and these are actually Jews, but still they were from those territories. In verse 9, Acts 2, 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and so forth and so on. So at least Jews from Elam, I assume after Cornelius, and the Jews in Elam reached also to the Gentiles, and so there were Elamites converted to the Lord, you know, through Christ. So the future for Elam, just like the future for all these other nations, was in the Lord, in Jesus. Comments and questions on these various oracles of judgment here. So if we count up how many oracles of judgment do we have so far? Starting in 46. 46 is against Egypt. Then 47 the Philistines. 48 the Moabites. 49 the Ammonites. Edomites. Damascus. Arabia. And Elam. We've had eight oracles of judgment in four chapters. The last two chapters of judgment are huge. Chapters 50 and 51. And they're both against Babylon. Babylon anchors this section down. And, and there's a reason, I think, why uh, Jeremiah talks so much about the judgment against Babylon. Because what, in most of Jeremiah, what is Babylon's role? They are the destroyer. They are the one God is using to bring all these other nations down. And then when God gets through using them, guess what? He destroys them. God gets what he wants to out of them, and then he brings his judgment upon Babylon. Babylon represents the epitome of human pride and world conquest. Do you remember the origin of Babylon? The Tower of Babel. That's where Babylon got its name. And the men at the Tower of Babel were guilty of what sin primarily? Pride. Pride. Absolutely. They were prideful against God, and Babylon represents human pride as much as anything. The judgment against Babylon section, well, it may just be two chapters. 
It's nearly as long as all the other countries combined. So, this is going to be a powerful section of judgment against Babylon. But I think before we start it, we'll go ahead and take our break, and then we'll come back and start working on chapter 50.